And well done to Sophie and Matt and Andrew for uh, uh, just uh, blessing us tonight by what they said and uh, making these uh, promises. Now, I'm not going to speak for very long, and I promise you that. People who are regular here are looking skeptical, <laughs> but we are on a quest to reduce the length of our talks. And tonight, um, I want to say something important to us, really based on what they have said about the Lord Jesus, but not for uh, too long. When I mentioned just a moment ago that song, it's a very moving song. You sang it an awful lot better than David Ling and I sang it in St. Columba's Hospice. But in the end of the day, if Christian faith is real, you should be able to sing these words to someone in a perilous situation of life if it's real. And they should believe it with all their heart if it's real. It's one thing to profess faith tonight and they were nervous. It's another thing to profess faith when you have no breath to do so. And yet on every occasion, and Wayne and Neil would testify to this as ministers of the gospel, we are afforded the extraordinary privilege of being granted time with someone as they leave this life, when medical care just discreetly stands to the side, and I have never, ever in my experience as a minister seen a Christian die without them becoming stronger and stronger in their conviction that Christ holds them fast. And that for me, and I want to add that to what you heard tonight from them, is such a powerful human testimony of the genuineness of Christian faith. If I was to say to you tonight, what is the greatest need facing humanity? Your answer might be Brexit. Or statesmanship in our country, or answers to impossible questions, or global warming. And they are big issues. So this past year in Edinburgh and across Europe, thousands and thousands of schoolchildren tried to alert governments to the need to do something for the planet. What about war and conflict? Now, statistics abound. Only 11 countries in the developed world, apparently, are not directly involved in conflict of some form. Here's 
a think tank's vision for humanity. I think it's great. We aim to create a paradigm shift in the way the world thinks about peace, to show that peace is a positive, tangible, and achievable measure of human well-being and development. Now, I think that's idealistic. What is profound in it, though, is that they highlight that the real issue when it comes to conflict or global warming or political disintegration or whatever it is in our culture is the human heart. The real issue is us. Whether on a global scale or in Westminster as we look on at our politicians, who of us would do any better? It is impossible. And what of our families and life and stuff and work? What of the Jeremy Kyle show? Whose fault is it? The broadcaster, the producers, the presenter, the participants, or the nine million of us who watch it? There's something wrong with us deep down that we cannot fix. And we live with dying bodies. Now that is such a powerful testimony that something is fundamentally uh, wrong. The most powerful academic lecture I've ever heard in my life was from a professor of palliative care who stood up and spoke to the assembled masses in the lecture theatre in the medical school at Edinburgh University. And he said, I'd just like to remind colleagues that mortality in this country is running at 100%. So let's just put our endeavours in perspective. A cure for cancer would be wonderful. And I say that with no glibness, having just sung, he will hold me fast as someone died of cancer. It really would. But do we really believe the adverts that we will beat cancer or beat disease? And really the question that is behind all of these adverts is do we really believe we will beat dying and beat death? What is so wrong with us as human beings that we can't fix it? Who is able to answer that question? Well, I'm not, and you're not, and no human being is logically, logically, the only person who is able to answer that kind of question is God. And as Christians, we believe God came to live in the world in the person of Jesus, fully man and fully God, the most influential person in history. Google him later. Let me just give you one incontrovertible reason to believe that he is the most influential person in history. He came top in the Daily Mail. Don't buy the lie that he is not the most influential person in history because he is not an influential person in 21st century secular Western Europe. Commitment to Jesus is rampant all over the globe. 
Countless millions of people through history have staked their life on his life. Countless millions of times, people like Sophie, Matt, and Andrew have come to the decision that their life needs to trust in his life for their salvation and their eternity. How do we know what Jesus did and said? Well, it is recorded for us in the Bible, in four books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They are eyewitness testimonies of Jesus' life and ministry, written by people who saw what he did. If you wanted to know what happened in this room tonight, you would ask somebody who was there. Who was the most nervous? What did they see? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John wrote down what they saw and what they heard that we might have certainty. Just turn for a few minutes in your Bibles to page 836. Just as you do that, I'll check the clock so I keep my promise. That's me one-tenth in. No, it's not. It's not, I promise you. Page 836. 836. This is Mark's Gospel, the first one of these books to be written. Just read the very opening statement. It's at the top left-hand corner of page 836. The beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's a title for the book. The rest of the Gospel sets out the facts showing that Jesus is the Christ and the Son of God. Mark has a clear purpose in mind to explain who Jesus is and what it means to follow him in order that people commit their lives to him. The phrase gospel simply means good news. One of the things we do badly as churches is give the impression that Christianity is anything other than good news. Here's the deal. If there is a solution to humanity's greatest problem, and if there is an answer, when we lie dying to death, then that's good news. It's wonderful news. It's extraordinary. The gospel means good news. Just look down the page to the section at the bottom titled, Jesus Begins His Ministry. Let me read where it says 14, the little verse there. After John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. I wonder if I asked you, if you're not a Christian, what kind of ministry or job do you think Jesus had? The answer is surprising. He's not a healer. He's not a miracle worker. He's a preacher. He's a speaker. He came to earth with something to say. Something to say. And he said, the time is fulfilled, or the time has come. The kingdom of God is at hand. Heaven, eternity, has broken into the world in him. And he said, 
And he says to all of us, repent or turn your life around and believe in the gospel, the good news. Now, what exactly is that good news? One more reading. Look across to page 837, the other side, two-thirds of the way down, an extraordinary account. You'll see it entitled, Jesus Heals a Paralytic. Let me read it. Follow with me. When he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. Imagine this room with 500 people in it. And he was preaching the word to them. He was speaking the message. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now that's extraordinary, and it's a shock, and it's shocking. That man must have been extraordinarily sick and loved for his friends to come up with that level of ingenuity to make a hole in the roof and lower him down to the feet of Jesus Christ. They knew Jesus could heal him. He had done it many times. And the dust must have come down on them in the heat. And the crowd would have just eased back. And this man lying at his feet, what's the modern day equivalent? Maybe still paralysis or incurable cancer. Or Stephen on his deathbed, that man we sang to you. And Jesus looks at this man in desperate, desperate, desperate physical need. And he says to him, your sins are forgiven. What the Lord Jesus is doing is he is showing us with all the compassion of someone who wept at people's illnesses and death, there is a deeper need than one's physical restoration. That is the forgiveness of our sins. Jesus goes into the very heart of this man's inner being and forgives his sins. And that is the need of us all. That is humanity's greatest need because it separates us from Almighty God. It breaks our relationship with him. And without forgiveness, we remain under the judgment of God. Now, when Jesus did it, if we read on, you'll read something really realistic and human. The religious leaders, people like me in his day, said, 
What right does that man have to stand up in the middle of that house and pronounce to that man, your sins are forgiven? Who, apart from God, can forgive sins? That's a great question. Who, apart from God, can forgive sins? No human can. All I could do tonight with Rog is help these guys go under the water. All the water did is get them wet. Only Jesus can forgive our sins. Only God And then Jesus stood back and he said these powerful words, so that you may know, tonight here as well as then, so that you may know that the Son of Man, and that's a a title for uh, God, for uh, the King of God's everlasting kingdom from the Old Testament, so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man whose sins had been forgiven, get up and walk and he took his hand and he got up and he walked out and everyone was amazed now this isn't in the bible but i wonder if this is not inappropriate when that man grew old what did he do when he grew old he died I wonder if on his deathbed with his grandson, he said, listen, son, you remember that day, and it must have just reverberated down family folklore when your granddad got up and he walked. He said, the most important thing that ever happened to me, though, was not when Jesus made my legs better but when he forgave my sins. Because that means I will spend eternity with him. And the most important thing these young folks will ever do in their life is trust Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. For their problem, like all of us, is a heart problem our need of forgiveness. I think it was Matt who said in his testimony, and he spoke of the great joy of growing up in a Christian home. You know, we're good people on a sliding scale. But standing before a holy God or standing at the feet of a crucified God who says to us, you need forgiven. You need to repent and believe so that when you die, as we all will, someone can stand at your bedside and sing. Don't let someone wandering around let you forget this moment. Because someone will stand at your bedside when you die. And what a difference it makes if you can sing, Christ will hold me fast. Jesus says to us all, come to me and trust me. Just faith. Salvation is by grace alone through Jesus' death. All we need to do is is believe. 
Later in Mark's Gospel, Jesus said, for even the Son of Man did not come to be served but a servant, to give his life as a ransom for many. Let me encourage you to use tonight to consider seriously where you will spend all eternity and consider the claims of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for all that you have said to us tonight through testimony and song and prayer and through your living word. We pray, Lord Jesus, that we would consider these things with all seriousness and make our peace with a holy God. And like Sophie and Matt and Andrew, move from the realm of darkness to the realm of light, unforgiveness to forgiveness, eternal judgment to eternal life. And thank you, Lord, that Christian faith does not rob us of joy. It gives us an inexpressible, deeper joy, knowing Jesus. And we pray these things in his name and for his sake. Amen.